circle centers for Cousins, a shot, and he scores. Dylan Cousins makes it 3-0 Lethbridge. Byram going to take it coast to coast on a backhand, scores! Up to the blue line, Vandalese, the effort, tip, scores! Carson Folk is Mr. Teddy Bear! A deflection. Oh, he scores! It's over! It's over! Game 7, overtime, hero! Hi, hello, and welcome to the WHL Podcast. I am Zach Hodder, the manager of player development for the Western Hockey League and the host for this episode of the WHL Podcast. Well, summer's officially over here in Calgary. We got some snow this weekend, so let's try to forget that, that the unrelenting winter months are just merely days ahead of us and jump into the news and notes for September 9th, 2020. For the first time in 28 years, the Brandon Wheat Kings will have new owners. Longtime owner and current Vegas Golden Knights general manager Kelly McCrimmon has sold the Wheaties to Jared Jacobson of J&G Group of Companies. Jacobson, who was born and raised in Brandon, said, quote, Our ownership group is looking forward to adding new energy and new ideas to one of the most storied franchises in the Canadian Hockey League. During McCrimmon's tenure as owner, the Wheat Kings made it to six league championships, winning two, won 10 Eastern Conference titles, and competed in four Memorial cups. The Moose Jaw Warriors have added overage forward Brad Janelle off of waivers. Janelle, who split the 1920 season between the Winnipeg Ice and Spokane Chiefs, scored 13 goals and 10 assists in 50 games last season. In 230 career Western Hockey League games, he scored 43 goals, added 50 assists for a total of 93 points. WHL alumni Matt Dumba has been named the recipient of the 2019-20 King Clancy Trophy. The King Clancy Trophy is awarded to the player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in his community. Dumba co-founded the Hockey Diversity Alliance and is involved in the Rebuild Minnesota Project. The Rebuild Minnesota Project's goal is to assist Minneapolis businesses who were impacted by the riots and protests in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. Dumba has also stepped up in response to the COVID-19 pandemic supporting more than 60 families who are part of the ACES or ACES athletes committed to educating students and he has worked closely with Hockey Fights Cancer and has made a notable donation to the Australian Wildlife Relief efforts. That's it for the news and notes for this week. As always, you can check at the WHL on Twitter and keep updated on the website at whl.ca. Our first guest today is the newest and the youngest head coach in the Western Hockey League. That is, of course, Nelson BC's very own Adam Maglio. We talk about his coaching journey, his playing history, and the type of coach he wants to be in the Western Hockey League. I'm here with the newest head coach and the youngest head coach in the Western Hockey League. That is Spokane Chiefs' Adam Maglio. Adam, how's your summer been? It's been good under some uh, uncertain circumstances. You know, I tried to keep a positive mindset, so it, it's been overall okay. I guess I should start by saying, and I should have off the top, congratulations on being named the head coach of the Spokane Chiefs. Truly a remarkable story so far. I mean, you're coming into your seventh year of coaching experience, but you started your hockey career in the KJHL, which is the Kootenai Junior Hockey League, a junior B league in, in the Kootenai region of British Columbia, with your hometown team, the Nelson Leafs, I believe, and then you moved on to Castlegar. And while you're playing in the KJ, you've mentioned that you had a coach there by the name of Aaron Wilbur, who was a big, a big help for you, an inspiration, and somebody that uh, you see as a mentor. So what did Aaron do, and, and what did you learn from Aaron during your time with him? 
Yeah, to be honest, the, the year I went and uh, played for Aaron, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep playing or pursue uh, school. So he, he motivated me to stay in the game and continue playing. And then, you know what, we just stayed, stayed in touch through the playing career. Uh, he ended up coaching at UBC. I was looking to transfer uh, for more so school purposes. And there was an opportunity to go play there with the Thunderbird team and under Aaron again. And and he was integral in, in bringing me there. Again, just stayed in touch with him throughout after playing. And obviously, you know, I think a mentor for sure. Uh, but I think someone that believed in me and, and that was really important. Well, you talked about your transfer there from, from a school to UBC. That school was Morris State College in upstate New York. What was that experience like going to play Division Three hockey in, in SUNY in New York State, coming from Nelson, where your hometown is? What was the adjustment like? And what, what's the hockey atmosphere like in uh, upstate New York and Division Three? It was a good experience overall. It's smaller schools for sure. It was a little more intimate with as far as you were with your team a lot through the week, not just at the rink. Um, I, I had a really, I had a really positive experience there. I had some close friends playing around the area at uh, Colgate and Cornell. And so there's some division one programs close by as well. And just as far as my education coming back to UBC this the level of CIS obviously was was intriguing to me too but and having Aaron there was certainly why why I moved on after two years and you ended up spending two years at UBC as a player before joining the team as an assistant coach in 2014 and when did you really realize you know I really enjoy coaching I think this is something I'd be good at and I want to give it a shot and how did that opportunity come for you to get on the bench with the Thunderbirds after Aaron Wilbur left as an assistant, I, I started to become more and more interested in the game, the technical side, the video side for sure. And I think he took note of that. After UBC, I was, I was over in Asia for a couple of years. That's kind of where I, I really got into coaching with running a, a hockey academy, startup academy over there. So I, I got my toes in the water there. I uh, really enjoyed it at the grassroots level. And I, I got a call from Tyler Kuntz just saying, hey, I'm looking for a guy to be an assistant, someone I trust, someone he felt was motivated, could communicate well with the players. And I jumped all over that opportunity. And that's kind of where it's kickstarted as far as the uh, high performance coaching here. And you've talked about in the past in some interviews I've read, you said there is a big learning curve that you underwent transitioning from being a player to a coach. So what do you mean by the learning curve of coaching compared to playing? Uh, I just think as a player, you maybe don't realize how much behind the scenes work there is. You, you show up for practice, you show up in the weight room, you work hard, you know, I, I, you learn a lot from the coaches as far as, you know, technically and through practice, but there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes into it that I, you know, I, I didn't know to be quite honest. And, and you, you learn that really quick as a coach, but again, working under good people, I think fast tracks that learning curve uh, and having good mentors. And that's something I was fortunate to have. Well, after UBC, you, you went on to the Prince George Spruce Kings of the BCHL, who have been a, a very good team over the past 10 years in the BCHL. You spent two years in as, as an assistant coach before transitioning to your role as the head coach. You know, when you got to Prince George, what were your expectations heading up there? And did you know that there was going to be an opportunity in a few years for you to move into that head coaching role? 
I did and I didn't. I, again, worked under uh, a guy that's uh, Chad Van Diemen, still a, a close friend of mine today. He left for personal reasons after two years, which gave me that opportunity. But I, I wanted to get into junior hockey, Zach. So I, I felt like it was a good organization. They hadn't had a lot of success previously. So I felt that might be a good opportunity as a young guy to get in there. And year one was was a little bit of a struggle, to be honest. Like our, our record wasn't great, but it teaches you a lot. Like going through that adversity, I think, you know, as a coach or player, it, it really, it can really help you later on. So I certainly use that experience. I think we, we started building the team a little bit in year two and then I got that opportunity in, in year three as a head coach there. You took the opportunity and ran with it. Arguably the best or the greatest two years of head coaching in the BCHL's history. You won the mainland division with Prince George your first year, and then you won the BCHL championship. And we're one goal away from tying the game to go to overtime against the Brooks Bandits in the RBC National Championship. But my question for you is, what's the transition like going from an assistant coach to a head coach? What responsibilities do you have to come to? And for yourself, how do you change your approach to the game? Are you treating the players the same way you were as an assistant coach? Or do you change the way that you interact with them as the head coach? A uh, really good question, Zach. I'm fortunate because I've done this uh, in PG. So now I, I do feel comfortable uh, doing it, obviously, in Spokane now. But I, I feel... There's a lot of management to being the head coach and, and delegating roles and responsibilities to, to both the staff and the players. That's one aspect that changes. You're not so much a support role now, you're more delegating to your staff. So certainly that would be, be the biggest adjustment. I felt, you know, communication so important to me. And as an assistant or a head coach, my belief is you, you really have to be a good communicator. Certainly Manny was that and, and previous coaches that I've worked with. And I tried to be that. And that's certainly something that I'm not going to change as a head coach. Well, Manny said that you had this natural ability to connect with players. How do you think that you have that? Does it come from that communication? Or, or is it something you've just always been able to do, whether it's through your playing days and now into your coaching days, connecting with not just teammates, but also these young players? Yeah, I think I think communication and and trying to know uh, about them as people, like they they are people first. I think that's uh, that's kind of something I've always believed. But certainly working hard for them. Like I think if you work hard for the player and and you care and you really want to develop, you build that trust and. And there's times where you have to have honest conversations with them. And as long as they're staying respectful and uh, there's still good lines of communication, I believe that's where you certainly build that trust and rapport with your, your players. You know, those hard conversations, I've been on the receiving end of them. I've never been on the talking end of them. When you had your first ever hard conversation, what was that <laughs> like? And, and how did you prepare to go into that? Because, I mean, it's a, it is a stressful situation to be a coach and have to tell a young kid who's pursuing a dream, hey, you know, you've got to make some significant changes or this ain't going to work for you. Yeah, absolutely. My first taste of that, Zach, was was at UBC coaching, and and I was not far out of playing there. So I uh, I had the privilege of actually coaching players I played with, and I had I had the task of you know sitting one of those guys out that that I had actually played with, 
And so there's a, a player to player relationship and now a, a player to coach relationship. And it was your first, you know, it was hard. I think it is hard and it's, it is mentally draining because you don't want to do that. But at the end of the day, you have to do what's right for the team. And I think, you know, most players, they, they understand that and you just need to continue those lines of communication and tell them why it's happening and, and give them hope that, you know, things are going to improve. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, you know, it's a great point. I think that's really important. And sometimes it gets lost is that when, when you sit a player out or you have to tell them why, and then tell them what they need to do to keep going. And, you know, to hear that from you, such a young guy, it's not surprising to see how quickly you've come up through the ranks, you know, touching on the communication and being honest with those players, what's your development philosophy? You've said in the past that development's the most important thing at the junior hockey level. You said the Western Hockey League, we're really trying to get guys to the professional levels, whether that's the AHL, Europe, or the NHL. So what is your philosophy when it comes to developing uh, junior hockey players? Yeah, I think it's it's improving the, the daily habits of the players. So, you know, whether that's on the ice and, and off the ice, working with them uh, on both sides. Certainly, if you don't have good habits and, and you don't have good detail to your game, I, I think it's really hard to develop as a player, to be quite honest. So trying to promote that and, and promoting that different ways too. So it's not always watching their individual video, it can be teaching through NHL players or, or, or different uh, other different leagues, but just finding ways to keep the player interested every day, but really focusing, uh, always coming back to the uh, habits and details of the game. As a player that's gone through the Western Hockey League, it's sometimes refreshing to hear, hear a coach like yourself talk about those daily habits and enjoying coming to the rink every day. The same thing Manny said, actually, when I talked to him last week was, you know, every day you come to the rink, we're there to work. We're there to be focused on trying to make it to the next level, but we need to have fun at the same time. It needs to be enjoyable because it is such a long season. 68 games from, you know, for yourself, even as a coach. I mean, you start pre-scouting early August and then you're going all the way potentially till the end of May, early June. It's a long season. It's a grind. There's a lot of bus trips and it's, it's just, it's nice to hear, you know, a guy like yourself talk about enjoying the game and the habits. But my last question for you, you just had your first season in the Western Hockey League. You're no longer a rookie. You don't have to sit with somebody else on the bus anymore. Did you have a moment where it was like, welcome to the Western Hockey League? Yeah, I think just walking into the Spokane Arena. I, uh, I, I'm from the Kootenays, from Nelson. As a, as a little guy, I used to go watch games in Spokane with my dad. And uh, it, it is a special arena. I, I, I mean, they, and they've done a great job with putting history of the team around the rink. Uh, right when I walked in there and walked in the coach's room, it, it brought back some memories when I was younger walking in the rink. Uh, and watching all the great players that have gone through that organization. So, so certainly that first day in, in, in that rank was a, was a good welcoming into the WHL. Uh, it's a beautiful rink, and it has the most annoying goal song in the history of sports. <laughs> uh, with that, Adam, again, thank you so much for taking time today. Congratulations on being named the head coach of the Spokane Chiefs, and all the best to you next season. Zach, really appreciate it.
My name is Mason Stewart. I'm from Calgary, Alberta, and I've been officiating in the Western Hockey League for four years. See the play where Kestelik picks up the puck right there on the, on the wall and starts skating and almost stops? Yeah. Do you think it's offside? No, I think we're good there. He's standing I on the blue he... line and it goes up and over everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah, Swift Kurt's Four. asking for it. I think we're good there. I, I was like, he's standing on the blue line still. He's, like, he's still got his feet down. Yeah, right? The reason I started officiating is mainly because of my dad. Being a big hockey fan growing up, my dad always thought I would be a good referee, so that's kind of how I got into it. It's been a couple of close, like, almost interference. Borderline late, but, but like, the amateur side. Yeah. The first WHL game I officiated was on October 4th in 2016. It was a game between the Kootenai Ice and the Moose Jaw Warriors. I remember it was a Tuesday night and the weather was still good, so the trek out to, to Cranbrook was still favorable. Just always a special night, the first game. I remember putting that sweater on for the first time. That's the first time you get to wear it. It's always a special moment I'll always remember. That's what I had too. Just made me think when they were... Yeah. I had a close one there, that one guy that dragged his foot right in front of me. I think you're okay. Yeah. Didn't look funny, I thought so. I prepare for games by talking to the crew mainly. I think the biggest thing is to get on the same page as your partner. We're not always working with the same guys. So a quick conversation between partners, also just knowing the teams, knowing who's playing, if there's any past history. I think that's the reason we all look at the stat packs and you know look at what happened the night before. So I think that's real important going into games. I think we're good, eh? I think we're nailing it, baby. Nasty. Sunday afternoon nasty. My favorite officiating memory in the WHL, I think obviously my first game, that's uh, that's a big one. This is a league we all strive to achieve for, so that first game is always a big step. And secondly, I think my first playoff game, we're all achieved to make the playoffs and that's always a big accomplishment. So I think my first playoff game on top of that. In addition to those first games, I think I'm lucky enough, having been from Calgary here, to be able to skate at the Saddle Dome as much as we do. We get to do the, you know, the big games, the teddy bear toss games, as well as the hooky for hockey games. You get a great environment, we get a sold out crowd. Those are the memories I think I'll have for a long time. So I talked to uh, 26 from Lethbridge and that scrum down there. What I think makes a good official is, I think there's a few things. I think fitness is a big component, skating ability is another component. We're asked in this league to be in as good a shape and be as good of a skater as the players that we're officiating. In addition to that, you have to be a good communicator. There's lots of good coaches in this league and we need to be able to deliver messages. And then ultimately our job comes down to judgment. Saying that he thought the guy fell on the trip, I said, James, you know what? I didn't see it. Yeah. I understand if you're upset if you thought he fell, but Ryan saw it. That's what he had. Like something we can my favorite memory of officiating international hockey was, for me, it's the 2017 Under-17 World Championship. It was a great tournament hosted in Dawson Creek, BC. For me now, when I look back at that tournament, I recognize a lot of the names that were in that tournament are now gone on to get drafted into the NHL. You know, Jack Hughes was playing in that tournament, Dylan Cousins, Kirby Dock, uh, some big names from the WHL as well. So I think it's fun to look back on, on those memories and also you know, the guys you go to the tournament with, those guys become your brothers for that two week period. And those are still bonds that you have today. I talked to Dave about that contact at the net there. Yeah. Um, it's outside the paint, contact's minimal. The puck goes to the net and we got a different story. My future goals are to continue to work and develop through the Western Hockey League and ultimately work at WHL League Finals. And if I'm lucky enough to have worked a Memorial Cup, I think that would be the ultimate goal for any official in the CHL.
Right before we played that last clip with Mason Stewart talking about what it takes to be an official in the Western Hockey League, I played for you the Spokane Chiefs goal song, just so you could get a little taste of it at home. Up next, we have Lisa Hollenbeck, who sat down with Lauren Zandy from our office to talk about what it's like being the only female hockey operations executive in the Western Hockey League. Lauren Zandy, Marketing Coordinator for the Western Hockey League here. My guest is Lisa Hollenbeck, who holds the title of Senior Director, Hockey Operations for the Portland Winter Hawks. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lisa. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Lauren. So let's take it back to the beginning of your career. You joined the Winter Hawks as an Executive Assistant of Hockey Operations in 2011. What type of educational background or work experience did you have, and, and how did you kind of come into this role? So I guess... Going all the way back, almost to high school, I started interning in minor hockey for the local team. I grew up in upstate New York, so hockey was kind of everywhere. And I knew that I wanted to be around sports. So I um, ended up going to school for sport management and graduated um, with a degree in that. And then during my time there, I had some awesome internships outside of hockey that really gave me a great background for other departments, sponsorship, ticket sales, media. I'm, I worked at the um, sports information at the collegiate level in baseball. So I think that really gave me a great background for the variety of jobs that really entail sports, not just in hockey. And then once I graduated, it took me a little time. I was probably maybe four or five months out of college, but I did land a job in hockey. Um, and I was working at the ECHL in hockey operations as uh, the hockey administration. I was probably there for four seasons. So that was really a good way for me to kind of start out working at the league office, seeing a lot of behind the scenes of hockey operations, league scheduling. I worked a lot with the officiating department, payroll, expenses, you name it. I really had a, a good chance to kind of get my feet wet in sports. As you know, sometimes the uh, league office is a small unit. So you get to, <laughs> yeah. so I worked with the marketing department on our all-star game so you know it, it really gave me a good kind of foothold and background for where I wanted to kind of go in hockey operations and then from there I actually wasn't working in hockey for a couple of years and so I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue in hockey or not but I decided that I was going to still look at education in hockey um, I took a sports management course that kind of focused on scouting and GM um, so I was doing that while I was working a full-time job um, and I was also continuing to network and so in that time one of the networking events I met Mike Johnston and so a year and a half later he was looking to fill a role and offered me the position so it didn't happen right away but I think I kind of kept at it and it ended up working out. And I think that's definitely a really good point that you brought up that especially in smaller leagues like the WHL or the ECHL um, you you wear a lot of hats I think is what uh, most people don't necessarily see behind the scenes right. So um, to have that experience, and, and I myself, I, I know that as well, it's, it's a tremendous asset to add to your resume. Yeah, and it's great for understanding your coworkers, what mm -hmm. they're doing. And, you know, since you are working in a smart, small office, what can you do to help? 
Um, yeah. How can you work together? I think it really kind of gave me a, a good background on the marketing side and what kind of goes into player events with sponsorship. So I think that was kind of a nice way for me to kind of start out and now helps me communicate and collaborate with my coworkers better. I would 100% agree with that. Um, and then in 2018, you were promoted to your current position of Senior Director of Hockey Operations. How did things change for you and, and what does a day-to-day -day look like when we're in season playing hockey? So going from that change, I actually kept all of my previous responsibilities and we just added a few more, you know, as our, our staff has kind of changed a little bit with Travis Green leaving and then Matt Bardsley, I kind of was able to position myself with the skills that I had or the skills that I wanted to improve or learn upon a little better. It gave me an opportunity to kind of elevate my current job. And so now I've just kind of increased my responsibilities and a day in hockey <laughs> always is a little different in season is not the same as the summer. Mm -hmm. I might be busy, but it's, it does not look the same at all. But my day is really, um, it starts off uh, with a meeting with Mike and the coaches. A lot of my responsibility is around the team schedule and the team kind of master schedule. So not necessarily mm -hmm. just the games, but schooling, workout, yeah. player appearances, all types of different things. So I kind of start off my day with a meeting with them just so we're kind of on the same page for that day. And even the week and the coming weeks, you know, what's going to mm -hmm. look like traveling after a practice or after school or after a game and how that's going to kind of lay out. And then from there, it just kind of depends on what's really going on. I might have a meeting with other department heads about events and special um, nights that are coming up, what mm -hmm. that's going to look like for our team, what their involvement would be. So I do a lot of that during the year. And then in the summer, I'm working on immigration, team travel, yeah. special events like um, our training camp, and then parents weekend. So a lot of the planning really happens in the summer and then day-to-day -day stuff like scheduling and team travel is kind of happening in season. As you mentioned, you know, you work with Mike and or Travis and typically there aren't too many women in the hockey operations world. So what did it mean to you to be, obviously you started in that position, but also promoted to the level that you have now reached as senior director? I mean, kind of amazing. I don't think when I Absolutely. started or when I, when I graduated college, I wasn't totally sure even in hockey operations, what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to work in hockey. I knew I had skills for that, but I didn't really understand what that meant. And I think while being here, I've kind of been allowed to kind of figure out what that looks like and what that means for me. And Mike and both Doug Piper have been great mm -hmm. in kind of allowing me to kind of figure out what that looks like. You know, over the last couple of years, I have been participating in the league scheduling meetings, which is interesting. Um, and it also <laughs> goes back to what I was already doing with the team schedule and the team travel. Um, mm -hmm. I obviously did a little bit of that at the ECHL, not to this extent. So I had a little background on what it looked like but now I think it just allows for me to really it, it benefits other areas of my job so and while also giving me additional skills so I guess it 
helps Mike and Doug and it also helps me with new skills. And it's interesting because I am the only woman in the room, you know, when we're doing the, the Western Conference schedule. So it's definitely interesting. And I, I hope that I see a woman in there <laughs> in the future. I think that would be great. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting to be a part of. Now, I think more than ever, there's been a spotlight on equality in sports and one of those specific areas being women in hockey. Looking at it with that lens, how have you seen things change over the past 10 years that you've been, or even longer, since you kind of have graduated school and what have you seen evolve or change in those in that time? Oh, man. I mean, when I first graduated college, I didn't know if I was going to have a opportunity in hockey operations. I didn't see anyone really like myself. Most of the women that I did see with positions in hockey operations were women that played professionally and they were, and there was not a lot of them as Even, well. No. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's not like I had a lot of um, role models to look up to, right? I think there's that. And then I think as I've kind of continued in my position now, I'm seeing more and more. I think we still have a long way to go, but I'm somewhat hopeful that we can get there and, and kind of make that, you know, an impact mm -hmm. on the sport. Yeah, and that, and that kind of leads me into my next question. What do you think we can be doing as a league and, and in professional sports in general to promote equality for women in sports? Well, I guess one thing I would say, just equality of women in hockey is, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, The Athletic had a, a 40 under 40 list, and I counted how many women were on that list, and it was 15, and I was impressed with their jobs, what mm -hmm. they're doing, what they're allowed to be doing. I was a little bummed it was only 15. Only 15, like yeah. That, that obviously increased, but I think that if I was to have looked at a list like that when I graduated college, it wouldn't, it, it would have probably been all men, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that, I think it needs to be said that there are amazing women out in hockey doing amazing things. I think women need to have a platform to mentor each other mm -hmm. and professionally support each other. I think you know, men of hockey kind of have this little, you know, they have this group, right? They all, they maybe they played college together decades sure. ago. And so they kind of keep their, their group. They kind of have, you know, whether it's, you know, professional colleagues, friends, and they kind of know each other even outside of the office. I think it's going to be really important for women to also have that that same environment to support each other in the job. And then also just understand what they're dealing with daily in life, you know, just outside of the office, um, I think is going to really grow women in hockey is being able to give them that type of support. And what advice would you give to women looking to get into an administrative role, specifically more like with hockey operations, where maybe instead of like a marketing role where it's a, a little bit more accessible, but you, you obviously are working with mostly guys and as well as the boys on the team. So what advice would you give women for that? I think the big thing I always give to anybody really is networking. Obviously mm -hmm. networking really worked for me. Um, I think that also goes back to 
women supporting each other professionally. I think it's important to have to mentor people, whether you have a specific mentor or you're mentoring one person. I think it's good to just mentor each other. Um, and I think that will kind of help grow the amount of women in hockey, mm -hmm. especially in operations. I think that's important to um, work on your skills, not just in your job. I ask Mike all the time if there is something else I can be doing. And I usually go in and know kind of where I want to go with my own yeah. career and what kind of things I want to learn. Um, and so I go into him and I'm like, I, you know, I'd kind of like to work in this area. Is there something between my current job and that that I could be working on. So I, I think working on skills, whether you are doing it on your own time or in your position, I think is just a great marketing for yourself. Given that it's an unprecedented year and the Winterhawks were coming off an incredibly strong season after winning the Scotty Monroe, how are you and both the staff and team preparing for the hopeful December start? Yeah, I mean, it's a unique year for everyone. I think everyone's kind of looking forward to getting back to hockey, hopefully very soon. I mean, this has been a, a very long off season, if you can call it that. So I, I think it's going to be great to just get the team back on the ice together. I think just like everyone else, we have been using technology to communicate and stay in touch as a staff and with our players. So I think we've just been trying to utilize that. So we stay on track for when the team is back together and then hopefully we can pick up where we left left off last year and uh when we actually do get back to it what is it about your job that you miss in season and can't wait to get back to oh interesting <laughs> i mean i'm not we're not really working in the office right now so yeah. um, being away from the, the rink is a little interesting basically because my job is very different every day i kind of miss that variety mm -hmm. I, I think that that's kind of something that's kind of lacking and i think that goes along with kind of having everyone together just learning what the guys are doing which then you know made lead to something where we hear a story from one of the players that we can then pass along to our media department. So I just think having that connection is kind of is kind of lacking right now, even though we are, mm -hmm. you know, doing things with Zoom. I think every everyone in, in one place will kind of help us. Yeah, certainly that human element, even if it's still a little social distance, I think everyone will be very glad to get back to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Just being in the in the same building building will, will really change. I think part of it is, you know, the players themselves, you know, teenagers, I think they're looking to get <laughs> um, back on the ice. I think the Absolutely. staff is, I mean, it's certainly the longest off season that I've had in hockey. So, you know, I, I kind of miss planning events. Our parents weekend is probably my favorite event, having all of the parents come in and see the their sons has is always really nice the team usually plays really well you know in front of their parents from that standpoint it's good last year we did a little skit with the players and i think the parents were able to see their sons in a little different light that was entertaining for all of us so i think just planning those events i i really miss well lisa thank you so much for joining me today uh we can't wait to see you and the winter hawks back in action this, later this year i know everyone is very excited to get back to it thanks lauren thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to uh, hockey again soon 
And lastly on the podcast this week is a guy who set an example for every single player he's ever played with. He's a two-time WHL Humanitarian of the Year, and he's currently playing in China with Kunlin Red Star. Here's Cody Glass, the 18-year-old sixth overall pick. Wong with a step to the net, cuts in front, and he scores! Tyler Wong in the backhand! He goes short side on the power play. I'm here with former Lethbridge Hurricanes captain, Tyler Wong. Tyler, how's the summer been? And and are you able to get back overseas to uh, China? Uh, Summer's been awesome. Uh, It's been a long one for me. It's been probably the longest uh, summer I've had since since I was 15 before I made the WHL. So probably the longest off season I've had. So uh, just enjoying that, playing uh, playing some golf, enjoying time with family, and just uh, been able to hang out. It's been a little bit of a weird summer uh, with uh, COVID and everything. So I uh, haven't been able to do as much as uh, you know. You obviously hope to do a few trips or go to the lake and stuff. But obviously, you've been around home a lot more than uh, I'm used to. But uh, it's been great being able to spend a lot more time with uh, family and friends this year. And um, yeah, we're just working on getting a visa. Our team actually isn't able to play out of China this year due to border restrictions with Russia. So we're uh, playing the year out of uh, Matishki, Russia, which is uh, right outside of Moscow. So uh, just working on getting a, a work visa for Russia right now. So we'll see when that happens, but hopefully soon. This will be your fourth season of professional hockey. And, and how do you think you've adjusted to the professional game after, after being such an elite level player in the Western Hockey League? What have you learned about the differences between junior hockey and professional hockey at the level you're currently at? Yeah, it was definitely a pretty big adjustment for me. The first year, even two years were kind of a eye-opening kind of kind of had to change some things up and uh you know they were definitely a big learning experience for me and I think the biggest things are you know guys the coaches and other players you know you're especially with the other players you know you're competing for you know that call up to make it to the next level and it's a little different than junior you know where you're kind of in the same boat everyone's just trying to show off show off their game to get the next the call to the next league and um, it's more of a, a close-knit group in the WHL I would say you know everyone's a younger guy moving away from home and uh, you're a lot closer and I think at the pro level you know guys have families have uh, wife and kids have um, responsibilities and you know it's more of a more of a job when you make it to pro so it's uh, it's definitely a big adjustment there and you know with coaches they're just, they're also in the same boat they're trying to um, show that they can coach in the NHL and make it to the next level so it's uh, you're not as uh, coddled almost you know uh, you know the WHL coaches were great and you know they help you along and they understand that you're going through a lot of young uh, things at a young age, you know, where you're moving away from home, having to take on a lot of responsibility. And uh, when you make it to pro, I was 21, you know, and uh, it's kind of a big change from going from coaches having and the team, like the Hurricanes, having a lot of things um, set up for me, you know, having to figure out everything for yourself, you know, finding an apartment, finding, you know, everything out for yourself, basically, and just uh, getting thrown into the fire almost. But it was uh, it was a good learning experience for me. I've I've really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I felt like I've gotten uh, improved a lot as a hockey player over the last few years. Well, you're not just a a great hockey player, and one of the things the coaches are looking for. You talk about that call up is everybody wants great people on their team, and I mean your resume is as good as it comes when it comes to the intangibles and the character side of hockey. You're the two-time WHL Humanitarian of the Year in 1516 and uh, 16, 17, as well as the CHL Humanitarian of the Year. And what drove you or, or who, who, who helped you be such a good community leader 
during your time in the Western Hockey League? Yeah, I think from a young age, I was just raised to always be grateful and to realize how blessed I was to be able to just be playing hockey, not even um, at a high level, just the absolute blessing it is to just be able to afford to be able to play hockey and the blessing that like it was to be able to play and, you know, have how much fun it was. And, you know, my parents always, uh, I was always took hockey seriously and wanted to make the NHL, but they, my parents always kept me grounded and made me realize that, you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's just a game and to be able to make money doing it is obviously the, the best job ever, but it's, uh, it's always about just, you know, uh, realizing how blessed you are to be able to be where you, where, where I was in Lethbridge and now in pro, it's just uh, such an amazing opportunity. And um, another thing, like just my parents taught is just, I've had a very a blessed life, like to, to be grateful for. And, you know, some people are less fortunate and um, haven't had the same opportunities I have. So to be able to give back and use my platform as a, uh, a popular athlete in Lethbridge was an amazing platform for me to be able to spread joy and spread that love of hockey to people that wouldn't normally have the opportunity to go to Hurricanes games or even play the game. And the lot, like the Hurricanes were so amazing to be able to uh, put things in motion for me you know I had a couple of visions for some you know spread that love of the game and it was just uh, they helped me along there and you know we we created some great uh, avenues to be able to reach some uh, reach some reach some areas of the Lethbridge community and and beyond that weren't uh, that weren't reached before so it was it was just an amazing team effort kind of in Lethbridge that helped me be able to do that. Well, one of those initiatives was the, the kids sport. Every single goal you scored, you donate $5 to kids sport Lethbridge. And you actually recruited a few of your teammates. I believe uh, Jordy Bellreve and Carter Folk joined in with you and you guys ended up raising over $13,000 for kids sport Lethbridge. And as a former Western league player myself, I mean, I find it amazing that you were able to start this initiative because I didn't even know where to start or I wasn't even thinking about that when I was playing in the Western hockey league. So when you got there, how did that come to be? How did you link up with kids sport and say, you know what, I, I'm going to donate five of my own dollars when you're a Western hockey league player, you know, you don't get paid a lot to be there. So it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a lot for us. What was the motivation behind that? And how did you get connected with kids sport? Yeah. You know, when I got to Lethbridge, it was uh, the first couple of years were kind of just trying to find my way through the league and uh, kind of establish myself. But once, you know, got my foot in the door and was uh, putting up some points and stuff, I kind of just had the idea one day, you know, after a season, I think it was my, after my 18 year old year, I kind of started it up and, um, you know, I've always just been like so overwhelmed with like thinking, you know, how, how lucky am I to be able to be here to have the uh, ability and also the opportunity to be here in the Western league and have, you know, people paying to watch me play hockey. And, you know, some people aren't, aren't able to have that opportunity, even though, even though they may or may not have had the skill, they've never had the opportunity to play hockey. So I thought it would be an amazing opportunity to, you know, give back to an organization that would help kids that, um, may or may not have had that opportunity to play hockey and to uh, give them that chance to, you know, maybe fall in love with hockey and kids sport jumped to mind. And um, I uh, called uh, Kathy Hong, who was the, the one of the, uh, you know, community relations people in Lethbridge and she set everything up and kind of got the, the ball rolling for us to be able to set things up. And yeah, definitely $5 uh, per goal in the Western league is definitely a lot, but 
uh you know we we all usually work summer jobs in the summer so you know had a little bit saved away so i i definitely could uh i if i was able to afford it but um you know just to be able to have that chance to be able to kind of make a small difference uh in kids lives to be able to you know enjoy the enjoy the game that i love is uh was a blessing to me as well so you've shown repeatedly that you're you're a player who or a person who takes pride in his community and wants to see it improve any way you can. So what are you what are you doing now to stay involved in, in that side of hockey and in, in the charities and in the outreach side of the game? Yeah, it's a it's a little more difficult playing hockey in China. Uh, there's definitely a big language barrier, but you know one of the reasons that I'm over there is because uh, of my Chinese heritage. They want to uh, kind of appeal to uh, the Chinese community there, kind of are able to identify with me as a Chinese, uh, you know, Chinese heritage hockey player. You know, and kind of the kids, you know, are able to kind of see someone of that looks similar to them that is uh, kind of has a similar. Um, heritage is them playing hockey at a high level you know that it helps them be able to kind of see that and you know for us you know we did a lot of some of the younger uh, younger kids teams in China they would come out to our practices and we'd take pictures and practice with them or coach them and show them a few things after practice and they would come out uh, to some of our games and warm up with us and um, we did a lot of that kind of the grassroots kind of thing to you know they really want to develop hockey in China and um, the way to do that is with the younger, the youngest generation. So um, that's what our team's kind of doing this. The last year I was there, that's what we were doing. Well, you know, started the year trying to just establish myself on the team. And then as the year went on, we kind of did a few more things where we were able to, you know, kind of try and grow the game there. You're, you're back in Kulin again. What's, what is it like playing in China? What is it like playing in the KHL for, for those people who don't understand what that league's like? How has it been for you as a hockey player and a person living in a, in a culture that's so different than what you've grown up in? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty uh, nerve-wracking decision, you know, making that decision to, you know, go over there and live a full year in China and Russia back and forth. And um, my wife went with me and, you know, going on that flight, you know, it's like, I think it's like a 13 hour flight, like Calgary to Vancouver, then Vancouver to Beijing, you know, you're, I was pretty nervous. And, um, you know, once we got there, it was, it was definitely difficult at the start to kind of, you know, assimilate into that culture and learn places, like learn a few words to be able to communicate a little bit, kind of learn where, where to go eat, how to get around. It was it was a tough couple of weeks to start, you know, you're kind of just thrown into it and don't know where to, what to do and how to get around. But um, once we figured things out, you know, the other guys in the team kind of helped me out and everything, but um, we definitely had to find out a few things for ourselves, and that made for a few, you know, awkward moments with uh, people that were kind of confused with what we were doing there. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a, an awesome experience. You know, you hear horror stories about Russia as well, but it was amazing going there too. You know, you, you know, the, those are areas of the world that you may, no, I never see in your life. So uh, to be able to go to the, you know, the Red Square in Moscow and St. Petersburg and um, a lot of the cities are actually really amazing there and uh, really good restaurants. Uh, I get to try a lot of different types of food and, you know, it's just, uh, it was just a, re a really cool cultural experience to be able to go see those areas of the world and um, being able to travel and kind of see uh, just things that I've never seen before. And, you know, the people there are, you know, they're, the, the language barrier is obviously there, but, you know, people 
for people and you can uh you can see the goodness in people wherever you go and just um interact with people is uh always interesting when uh you know people have broken english and you're trying to you know do charades to order food and uh, trying to act out what kind of food you're get, getting and stuff so google translate was definitely uh a huge help once we figured that out and uh, my experience there was amazing and you know i'm excited to go back you had a tremendous year and you know you look back on your career so far in the western hockey league you played 317 games with 298 points do you have a favorite memory or a favorite moment in your Western Hockey League career? Uh, yeah, for sure. That uh, definitely comes to mind is uh, my 20-year-old year. Um, we kind of went on a little playoff run. We made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And, um, you know, our biggest rival is uh, the Met Hat Tigers. And um, we went to Game 7 against them in the conference semifinals. And it went to overtime and I scored the winner. So that was definitely the, uh, the biggest, uh, most, my most fond memory of the WHL for sure. Well, Tyler, thanks for taking time out today. Wish you the best. I mean, again, just looking at your resume, it's pretty clear you're going to be an important figure there in China, helping to grow the game of hockey. And, you know, we're pretty proud that you're a Western Hockey League alumni who's going to be over there doing that. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That is it for this week's edition of the WHL podcast. Big thank you to Tyler Wong, Lisa Hollenbeck, and Adam Maglio. If you're looking for another follow on Twitter, why don't you toss me one at Zach Hodder. And while you're there, you might as well follow the Western Hockey League at the WHL. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you again next Wednesday.